The success is me setting a goal, saying I'm gonna do something and actually seeing it through. The only reason why I haven't failed is I haven't quit. I failed at a lot of tasks. I failed at a lot of attempts of things, but I haven't failed in business overall because I didn't quit. I've even, you know, most people will quit when your bank account's in the negative or quit when your product is stolen, you know, what's happened to me, or quit when the manufacturer is in a country that you can't even go to. But for me, I said, no, I'm going to see this through. I'm going to do whatever it takes to see this through. Hey everyone, this is Ashley Menzies Babatunde, and welcome to another episode of No Straight Path, the highs, the lows, and the lessons learned. If you're new to this show, welcome. In this podcast, we dig into the human stories behind success. And if you've been keeping up with the show, then welcome back. And you probably know that I am leaving a season of surviving and entering a season of thriving. Yes, I'm so excited. Now that I am on sabbatical from the law, I just have more time. And having more time is amazing. One thing I want to prioritize is connecting with all of you. First off, thank you for being here. And I've just been having some really thoughtful conversations lately that have sparked my curiosity about various No Straight Path career-related topics. So I'm going to start sharing my thoughts on LinkedIn. I was actually inspired by our last guest, Alex Sue. Alex just has such an interesting journey. If you haven't listened to that episode, I highly recommend that you go and check it out. Not only will you hear his personal story, he also provides some really good practical tips for navigating your journey. So definitely check that out. So I'm actually going to put out my first post this week on LinkedIn. So please go check it out, comment, let me know what you're thinking. It's gonna be about self-awareness. I'm excited about it. It's definitely a topic we've been digging into. And that way we can help each other as we all navigate our no straight path journeys. Speaking of navigating no straight path journeys, I think you are all going to love our next guest. We have Dawn Dixon. She is a serial entrepreneur and inventor with over 20 years of experience in technology and business development. She has received so many awards recognizing her impact in business, including the Forbes Next 1000 list and the cover feature on Black Enterprise. Even though she has all of the success, she is so down to earth. She said that she still considers herself as an underdog. I spoke with Dawn Dixon at Inbound, HubSpot's amazing business conference. I told you guys a little bit about that two weeks ago in front of a live audience. It was so much fun. She was so kind and I loved learning about her story. Can't wait for you guys to hear it. So let's get to it. Hey everyone, I am Ashley Menzies Babatunde and welcome to No Straight Path, the highs, the lows, and the lessons learned. I am so excited because today is a special day. It's our first live podcast and we look at the human stories behind success. So we have the Don Dixon here, serial entrepreneur, inventor. She has run six successful companies, including Flat Out of Heels and Popcom. Have you guys seen those heels that are in, they're actually, they're flats that are in vending machines in the top clubs in the US, which is incredible. Like that idea, love it. And she is also a pioneer in crowdfunding. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you are the first woman to raise over a million dollars in crowdfunding, which is incredible. So we have to dig into that. But thank you so much, Don, for being here. Thanks for having me. It's really exciting. I love this. This is awesome. 
Yes, yes. So what I love to do, because I find that the most successful, fulfilled, happiest people, their childhood shows up in the work that they do today. So I would just love to know about your childhood. How did you grow up? And how does Little Dawn show up in the work that you are doing today? You know, I'll say Little Dawn was definitely always doing her own thing on the beat of her own drum. So it definitely shows up today, kind of an outlier my whole life. But definitely also grew up seeing entrepreneurship. So I grew up in a blended family, but both of my parents were entrepreneurs. And a lot of people in my family are entrepreneurs. So I always seen people working for themselves. And it was the option. And, you know, corporate life was definitely something that was encouraged by my family because we were like the first generation to actually go to college, my generation and my family. In the past, they really had to be entrepreneurs because that's really was the only way to get out there and create wealth and really have a good income is get out there and create your own business because there weren't a lot of opportunities for people of color and for black people, you know, in, in the time where my grandparents were coming up and they also were entrepreneurs. So as a child, I always had some kind of little hustle going on. I would sell toys you know, that I didn't want anymore. I would be selling lemonade. I would be just always doing something, always enterprising and always would like win the, you know, when you're in school and you have like the candy sale and you're like, who can sell the most candy? Who can sell? I was just always, you know, hustling, always getting the prizes. So it still shows up today because like, I'm definitely still an overachiever. Definitely walk to the beat of my own drum, like I said, and still carrying on that entrepreneurial legacy that my family and my great-great-grandfather started many years ago. I love that. I love that. So I need to just circle back to this toys thing, because I haven't (laughs) heard of that. How did that happen? How old were you? What were you doing? Were you bringing your toys to school and selling them? So I would set up, so like, (laughs) it's so funny. My family's house, you know, it would have a garage, but you have one of those, like, you pull into the, well, you park your car, carport, carport. And I would set up a table and I'd say, hey, everybody, you know, bring the toys you don't want anymore that, you know, your parents bought you. You don't want them anymore. We can trade or we can sell them to each other. And then I also would be selling garbage pail kids. I remember this so clearly. I don't know if I remember garbage pail kids. But I would literally say, you know, Saturday, everybody bring your toys. And it would be a neighborhood thing. And I would do it on a regular basis as a way for us to make money. You know, we only had a couple of dollars here and there. But in the 80s, when I grew up, a dollar goes far. And you know, you get a lot for a dollar. I don't know about today, yeah. <laughs> but I definitely get a lot of snacks for a dollar. And that was always the motivation is how can I get my own snacks without asking my parents? And how can I do whatever I want without asking my parents? And so it's kind of still, I'm still that way today. Yeah. Oh, I love how that shows up. So I did mention a lot of your accolades and all of the success that you've had. And one thing that we like to do on No Straight Path is actually talk about the challenges and the pivots and the struggles So can you tell us about one or two challenges in your journey or pivots in your journey? And then maybe we can unpack some of the lessons that you learned. Yeah. So I've been an entrepreneur full time for 20 years and I've started six companies. But I'm going to focus on the challenges that I've really experienced in the past 10 years building my company, Popcom, and Flat Out of Fuel. And so it's interesting because I never intended to start this business. It was a pivot. The business happened because I realized that there was a demand for it. But initially it was, you know, me going out, hanging out with my friends, feet hurt in heels. Even today I have a low heel because I know better these days. But I said, you know, it'd be so cool if there were shoes that we could get out of a vending machine at the nightclubs or at a conference like this one when our feet are hurting. 
And so the idea was just for me to come up with a distribution channel to get my products to customers when they needed them fastest. And I felt like vending is the fastest distribution channel out there. It's even faster than Amazon Prime. It's right there when you need it. But I didn't know anything. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know about vending. And the first major obstacle was, you know, me deciding that I want to make vending machines accept credit cards because, you know, the product is $20. And I'm thinking in my mind, us women, we may only carry around $20 or $25 because, you know, we go out, we like men to pay for stuff. <laughs> and we don't want to spend our last $25 on some flats. So we need to accept credit cards. And this was in 2011 when less than 5% of vending machines accepted credit cards. And so me not knowing anything, and it's just ridiculous when I think back. I said, okay, we're going to accept credit cards. I bought a credit card reader off of Alibaba or something. I shipped the credit card reader to the vending manufacturer in Spain that I found that was going to build this vending machine for me that was different than like the Coke ones you see. I wanted something unique. I shipped the credit card reader to him, having no clue how processing works or anything. He just mounts the credit card reader onto the machine and just ships it to me. And I get it and I plug it up. And of course it doesn't work because you can't just process credit cards without a processor, without Wi-Fi, without so many things. And that's when I realized, like, I have no clue what I'm doing. But I was already so deep into this. And I said, okay, what can I do? And I had to create software. I had to create a machine that could actually integrate with the technology like credit cards and emails that I wanted to do. So the first major obstacle that I had to overcome was just the barrier of knowledge. I'm getting into an industry I had no knowledge about. On top of the vending machines, I also didn't know anything about manufacturing products and making shoes in China. I literally just found someone, again, Alibaba, good old Alibaba. <laughs> this was in 2011 and it was, it was not like what it was today. But just so many things I learned the hard way, you know, even as far as my products being held in customs for months because they didn't say made in China. And I just didn't know that you have to put where a product is made on it. So those kind of things were always happening. But the big pivot was after I started selling the flats in the vending machines. And I was just like hacking my way through it for myself. But we went viral in 2013 when I was on a show with Marcus Lemonis. And it was called Your Biz Fix. And over 300 people contacted me saying, oh, can I buy one of your flat out of hills machines? Or can I sell my products in your machines? And I was like, oh my God, this product is not good enough to sell. I'm barely making it work for myself. If I sell this to somebody, they're going to just you know, talk about how bad it is. Yeah. So I had to fix it. And I started Popcom and separated the vending component from flat out because I really wanted to make the vending machines better so that people could buy them and I could stand behind that product. So, you know, that was the first big pivot was like starting a whole nother business, getting into a vending business and a software business when I didn't know anything. But I knew one thing for sure, there were customers. And the kind of entrepreneur that I am is if I know that somebody wants to buy the product, I'm going to figure out a way to sell them this product. It just took me a lot longer. It took me actually 10 years to get the product to market, which, you know, there were so many challenges along that journey. Yeah, yeah I love that. Wow, that's so amazing. And I feel like that's certainly a theme in a lot of the stories that I hear. Like the pivot was accidental or it wasn't yes. planned, but there's a gap in the market or there's yes. customers. So you're going to figure it out. And so I love in 10 years. I did not years. know that. I mean, we just went through so many prototypes and so many different processes. And then as soon as we were market ready in 2020, we launched the product at CES and at the NRF, which is a big retail show. 
And then COVID, and it shut down our whole entire everything. We were making machines in China, and then COVID. So we had to start all over again from scratch, and that was devastating. Yeah, It was. It was really devastating because I had already spent, at this point, eight years just building it. And when it was finally ready and we had customers, we could not sell and do anything. Yeah. Can we talk about that devastation? How did you get through that time? I honestly just kept myself busy doing a whole bunch of other things because what was happening was Popcom was in limbo. Mm -hmm. Our manufacturing, we couldn't build in China anymore. It was done. We had to find a U.S.-based manufacturer. That took time because, again, it's COVID. A lot of people aren't at work. Like, if you're not an essential worker, you're not there. So it just took a long time. So while this was going on, just to keep myself sane and from literally not having a breakdown, I just started doing all of my passion projects that I ever wanted to do in my life. Like, I opened a yoga studio. (laughs) I started an RV and camping business. Just doing things just so that I would be busy until we could get our manufacturing. So, of course, I was still running Popcom, but... The business didn't have a product, and it was out of our team's hands because we build software, but we don't build hardware. And what I did was just honestly just, it was a hard time. Yeah, no, but I It was a hard time. I mean, even thinking back to just the moment when I had to start all over again and already invested millions of dollars into this and already had raised about $5 million and made a lot of, you know, promises to investors and customers about what we're going to deliver— and then I have to turn around and tell everybody I wasn't going to deliver anything at all. It's hard. Yeah. I appreciate that honesty. And I do love, though, that you put your energy into other passion projects. Yes. Because I notice that that's a really great tool for resilience in a lot of entrepreneurs. It's, yeah. some, it's a theme that I'm definitely seeing. This No Straight Path was certainly a passion project for me as well because of a challenging time I was going through. So I love that. I would love to know just maybe the biggest lesson or one or two lessons that you've learned when it comes to your entrepreneurial journey. The number one thing is just surround yourself with people that know more than you. Never be afraid to ask for help or say you don't know something. And my mentors, my board members, my advisors, they were the way that I really got through all of this, just knowing that I'm not alone in the experiences. I mean, if you research and look at all really successful and great entrepreneurs, there was no straight path. There was, it just, it's not possible. We all hope our story is going to be different. It's not, it's challenging. And so just the biggest lesson is you don't know what you don't know. So always be open-minded to do things differently and to hear another approach. But when you find out things the hard way, just keep moving forward. If I didn't just always move forward, I would have quit a long time ago because I've so many things were keeping me, you know, there were so many challenges. But at the end of the day, I knew I had customers. I knew that no one else was building what I'm attempting to build. And if I build it, they will buy it. In 2021, December, when we finally got our product in the market, and that was probably one of the best moments of my career, even though, like, we weren't even making a ton of money. It was a little bit of money. But when I started, my dream was just to create this vending machine that actually could sell products, you know, for entrepreneurs and utilize the software and really bring the e-commerce experience. And I felt accomplished. Yeah. Even though it was like a lot of people measure their success by money. But I really measure my success by me meeting my goals and objectives, like checking off that checklist like I did it. You know, money is on the checklist, but there's so many other things. And we have to celebrate the small wins because if we wait for the big money payday, we'll never be able to enjoy all the things that come between that. 
And there's so many great things that do come between that. Yeah. Oh, my God. I love that. First off, thank you so much for going because you're such inspiration to all of us. So thank you because you're inspiring so many people here, including myself. And the other thing is that you just touched on, which I think is enjoying the journey. I think that is so important. What does success feel like to you? I know you said it's not money. Can you describe that feeling? Money's in it. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, you're right. Money's in it. You it's just not the only thing. Because yes. if you look at a lot, a lot of people in this world have a tremendous amount of wealth and they're very miserable. So we know money doesn't make you happy or satisfy your needs, right? So what else after that? So money is there, yeah. but it's rewarding. Like the success is me setting a goal, saying I'm going to do something and actually seeing it through. The only reason why I haven't failed is I haven't quit. I failed at a lot of tasks. I failed at a lot of attempts of things, but I haven't failed in business overall because I didn't quit. I've even, you know, most people would quit when your bank account's in the negative or quit when your product is stolen, you know, what's happened to me, or quit when the manufacturer is in a country that you can't even go to. But for me, I said, no, I'm going to see this through. I'm going to do whatever it takes to see this through. And I feel deeply committed to my investors because I crowdfund. I do feel differently about them than maybe I would a venture capital fund. You know, these are people's money that they work for every day. These are everyday people that take their $200 or $1,000 and they put it behind me. And I have a great responsibility to do everything that I can to return that money to them. And that actually drives me from not quitting. Because I'll tell you, if I just only had VC money, yeah, I might have quit. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I'm not a quitter, but... The having those crowdfunding investors is fuel for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd love to talk a little bit more about that and just how you are building wealth in the black community, because I know that's a really big part of your mission. So can you talk a bit about that? Yeah. I mean, for me, it's definitely black community because I'm black, but it's really building wealth in communities that don't have an opportunity to invest and create wealth. Everybody who's not accredited, which accreditation doesn't see a color. If you don't make $200,000 a year, as an individual, 300000 as a couple or a million dollars net worth, you're not an accredited investor and you can't get into early stage deals. It doesn't matter what you look like, you can't get into these deals. And this is how we have created this huge wealth gap in this country since 1919, 1920, after they changed the laws for the Securities Act to say, if you're not accredited, you can't invest because we don't trust you regular people. You see what happened with the stock market crash, you lost everything. We don't trust you people to invest your own money. You don't make good decisions with what to do with your money. And from literally almost 100 years, we, anybody that's not accredited, could not invest in early stage opportunities mm. in private equity deals, which these are the deals that actually create wealth. Private equity investments, getting in early. A lot of us seen a couple years ago when Uber went public, when they IPO'd, and they were showing the sheet of like all the people that invested in like what they came away with. And one person, a couple people invested like $5,000 and ended up walking away with $25 million. When do we get a chance to put in $5,000 and maybe walk away with $25 million? It just wasn't possible. Yeah. And so for me, even though I have success, and I still feel like the little guy, like the underdog. And so I'm always going to bat for like the underdog. And when it came to the time where I had to make a decision, do I want to go back to the venture capital route after raising my first round? Or do I want to try this new way that I feel is much more rewarding because the way that it's set up, you know, the funds, when you exit, they get the money, they take it back to their LPs, the fund benefits. So many of these same funds benefit over and over again from these exits. Mm -hmm. But how does it touch the people? Like how are our lives impacted when a startup exits? And so it feels so good to me, even though it is a risk, obviously investing is a risk and 
We're all trying our best. Every startup is a risk, but the reward at the end of the day, when I have an exit, which I'm working on very diligently, there'll be 10,000 people that will get their money returned to them. And if I have a significant enough exit, it really can create a change in people's whole entire family. If you take $1,000 and even turn it into 20, that's a big difference in a household. And that also restores faith in just investing in general in communities who don't really feel comfortable. Yeah. No, that's so amazing. It's like you're democratizing access exactly. to this financial capital that everyone didn't really know about. And I, and I have noticed, like, as you get into certain circles in society, there's just certain information and knowledge that not everybody has access to. And so that's exactly. changing and you're a part of that movement. Yes. So that's so wonderful. What kind of advice do you have for people who aren't investing yet and want to invest and they're perhaps new? I think that first just think about like what you love, what you're interested in. The mistake people make as investors is like jumping on bandwagons and you don't understand what you're investing in. It's important to invest in things that you actually understand and research and maybe like or you're a customer of. And to get started with investing, now we're in a world where there's so many platforms where you can go on and invest in a company just for $100, $200. And there's many crowdfunding platforms. So just go on there and check it out. And it's not just startups, not just tech companies, anything you like, you know, any type of industry you're interested in, there's a company on their crowdfunding. If there's a lot of times a product that you use and a small business that you support will be crowdfunding and you can become a customer and an investor. So I think the first step is just going on these sites, scrolling around. I'll name a couple of them. Okay. Start Engine, WeFunder, Republic, there's Seed Invest, and just scroll and see who's offering. And then this will help you also like vet deals. Like everybody can be an investor. You know, you can read their, their forms. You can see their profit and loss. You can see their projections. You can make decisions and think if this is a good business, if you want to put your money behind it. And I think that even if you're not ready to like dive in, it's so important to just like start to take those steps of learning how you can diversify by investing in small businesses. That's so great. So I do want to pivot a little bit because it looks like we have a little bit more time and getting more to the human side. I yeah. know that you are a mom and a wife, and I know that people say work-life balance doesn't exist. A lot of successful people, like what's your take on that? How do you balance everything? How does your family fit in your life and career? Yeah, I also agree there's no balance. It's not like a thing, mm -hmm. but I do think prioritizing things each day is how I'm able to make time for everything that's important to me. So. Sometimes, some days, my family is a priority. You know, some days work has to wait because I'm doing something with my family, my husband, with my daughter. Some days, my family has to wait because work's a priority. Like, at this very moment, the priority is being here. And I think if entrepreneurs, and especially moms, like, get rid of that mom guilt and just set the priorities. Like, put it in your calendar. You're going to prioritize a block of time for to hang out with your husband or hang out with your kids. And don't feel bad about the time that you're away. And I think since I've been an entrepreneur my daughter's entire life, we have this thing where I always tell her, and since she was like three years old, mm -hmm. if you make my life easy, I'll make your life easy. Making my life easy means being a good student, not giving me a lot of problems, being trustworthy, because when you do all those things, I can be very effective in my career. I don't have to stress out about you. And then I can provide you with all the things that you like in your life. You can have an amazing life. And she did that. She made my life easy. And so I made her life easy. But it's also including her and letting her understand that I'm at work and this is what I'm doing. And I'm doing it for you and for us. And I always made her feel included in my career. 
Yeah. Oh, that's so great. Mom goals. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So I would love to know if you just had any final thoughts or things that we haven't touched on that you'd like to share with everyone. You know, if we're talking about like the topic of no straight path and just moving into entrepreneurship with intention, I think the main thing is like for everyone to think about before you enter into anything, not just entrepreneurship, but even a career, being self-aware and knowing how far you want to take this, knowing how far you want to go with something, whether it's your business or your role at a particular company, how much are you going to commit to this before your time is up, before you want to move on to something else? And I think a lot of entrepreneurs just jump in and they don't set an end goal. They don't set a time where either they're going to sell it or they're going to transition out of it. And you just end up working and working and creating a job for yourself. And entrepreneurship, if you take investor money, you have a job. It's not freedom like people think, oh, you're just free. Just do whatever you want. No, you're not free all the way. Real freedom is either being an owner and just, you know, collecting your profits and you're not working in the business. You're just an owner or, you know totally just being separate from it. But when you're a CEO, you are a worker and you do work. And for myself, I set a goal and said, listen, I'm only going to take this long. Okay. And I use age. So I said, by the time I'm 45, this stuff has to shake. Whatever shakes, it shakes. When I turn 45, wherever it's at, this is where it's going to be because I've spent 25 years of my life building businesses and the ones that I have now, 15, 10, 12 years building these businesses. But I think it's so important to set that end goal in anything that you do. How much time are you going to commit to it? What does your exit look like? Where do you want to go next? And really map that out. Because if you don't, you'll look up one day and you're still where you were. And you don't know how to get out of it. Or you get burnt out. And you're like, oh, my God, I haven't planned for this. So knowing that my exit year is 45 years old, I'm 43 right now. I'm very intentional about what I'm doing for the next two years. Sorry, can I stop you? Did you hear what she just said? <laughs> She's 43. Did she look like that? How? Thank you. Okay, I'm sorry. Thank you. <laughs> but being very intentional about what I'm doing for the next two years so that I can meet that goal. And there's so many things that have to go into that. So you can't wait until the last minute. Anything that you want in your life, you have to really design. And I do believe in lifestyle design. I've, I've designed my whole entire life, even down to my daughter and Everything. And I don't know how it worked out, but it actually, I pulled it off somehow. Yeah. And I think it's just from really diligently planning. I love that. It's like, it's interesting because there's this dichotomy. You had this no straight path story that's windy and there was like some accidental, didn't expect this, but then you also designed the life that you are living yes. now. Because that's you pick the destination, you cannot pick the journey. Yes. And that's, to me, I don't care what the path does. It could go like this all up, long as I get right here. That's all that matters to me. So when things, I get like wrenches all the time, like things go wrong, fires all the time. Stuff's probably on fire right now if I check my phone. But again, my focus is what can I do to get to the end goal? Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if it doesn't go my way. It doesn't have to be my way. I don't know everything. But as long as we get to the goal, we're good. Uh, okay. Well, I think that is the perfect place to end. That was amazing. Thank you so yeah. much, Don. If you want to tell people... Where they can find you. Yes, for sure. Everyone can definitely connect with me on LinkedIn under Dawn Dixon. I always reply and I love to connect and, and talk to people. And my website, DawnDixon.me, has a ton of resources if anyone's interested in crowdfunding. I've spent a lot of time and wrote uh, blogs and like a lot of information I've put out there and free content to help educate people on crowdfunding and how to launch a successful campaign. And then, of course, I'm crowdfunding again. This is my fifth crowdfunding campaign that I'm doing 
right now. And it's on Start Engine. So startengine.com forward slash popcom. You want to check it out. And yeah, you can always connect with me. And I would love to hear from anybody here and always happy to share advice. Well, thank you so much. And if you guys all enjoyed this conversation, make sure that you go wherever you listen to podcasts for No Straight Path. I'm Ashley Menzies Babatunde, and we tell lots of stories like this. Thank you to the HubSpot Podcast Network. Thank you, Black at Inbound, for bringing Dawn to us here to just share this amazing story. And just take care, everyone. Thank you. Thanks, you guys. Thank you for listening to another episode of No Straight Path, the highs, the lows, and the lessons learned. Remember to share this episode with friends and family. And if you like what you hear, please go on to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts to rate the show. It helps other listeners find No Straight Path. Let's spread the message, everyone, and make sure that millennials feel less alone. There's no straight path in your career and life, and that's okay. It's honestly what makes the journey exciting. So let's get inspired together. I hope you have a great week.